UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today, and my camera just froze. Saul, can you still hear me? I can. You're coming through loud and clear. Okay, my my camera image looks pretty cool, Rob. I know. I wonder what that is. I wonder why that's doing that. Like, I, <laughs> I guess I'll just let it go. But um, if we, I want to say it's almost spooky, but in a good way. I I wonder what that glitch is. I wonder if, like if I could show Zoom that like. Or what, what is that's so hilarious. Like, I, and I sometimes wonder if that's like the, the government or something, but I don't think I'm that big to, for that to happen. But I have no clue why that's happening. But so anyway, <laughs> I heard they started screwing with the little guys too. Probably, right? Um, but back to I, guys, I have with me back uh, Saul Lockman. Uh, Saul is very advanced in, uh, in Gnosticism. Uh, he wrote a new book called Cali the Destroyer, but Saul's also very advanced in the, the channel that's kind of blowing up now today, which is Archaics. And Saul um, follows Jason's work as well. So we're going to be talking about everything about from like Gnosticism to uh, Saul's new book to an experience that he had, which we talked about before, but I kind of want to rehash it. And also he, uh, Saul does healing too, which I think is really important. I don't know how much he gets into that on other podcasts, but I definitely want to cover it tonight because, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool. Like any kind of healing. I've, and a little bit more about my guest, a longtime researcher of shamanism and spirituality. Saul Luckman is an iconoclastic psychonaut devoted to exploring and exposing the truth about home, human history and potential, wherever that might lead. And I want to give him and a little bit more about his new book, his new novel, Callie the Destroyer, a page turner of a sci-fi tale set in an Orwellian future seed in the dystopian present that radically rewrites Gnosticism as well as the origins of Earth and humanity. It was selected as the winner of the 2022 New York City Big Book Award and 2022 National Indie Excellence Award for Visionary Fiction. And I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Saul, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me back. The uh, last time we spoke, people really seemed to enjoy that. I know I, I I got a lot of good um got a good uh, feedback from the audience. Um, one thing that I wanted to to talk about was um, they say that the Gnostics were 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 studying kind of simulation. Or they said that the Gnostics brought forth simulation theory like two thousand years ago. Can you talk about that and like what how how did the Gnostics look at the world as far as like a simulation? And then I guess where I'm going with that is can we blend the two? Can we blend Gnosticism and simulation theory? Yeah, that's a that's a real deep dive right there. I mean, let's start with the very real fact that most of the texts that have come down to us that are attributed to the Gnostics are in fragments. And 
have been variously translated. Uh, they were probably the texts that we've got. Even, they're they're fragmentary to start with, and they're probably translations of translations of translations. So we're getting this fourth, fifth, sixth hand and in pieces. So it's difficult to put it all together and say I've got the whole picture. But when you read the fragments of the Nagamati text, for example, it's pretty clear they had a very advanced understanding of of reality as being not what it seems and as being some kind of product or artifact related to something like the imagination, the 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 will um, consciousness, if you want to use a, a big word for it. So they were very dialed into this notion and they had players playing certain parts in what we might call a simulation, uh, including uh, the, the Demiurge or the Lord Archon or Yaldabaoth or Saklas, whatever you want to call this being that is kind of like the god of this world, according to the Gnostic teachings. And it really, it's the god of this world, but it's more like what most people think of as Satan. It's the inverse. It's a, it's the angry, jealous god of the Old Testament, the demon that comes out of the burning bush. So, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. I, I would agree that they absolutely connected this to simulation theory. And you asked if the two could be uh, put together. I think they they go together because the Gnostics were already thinking along these lines. What we have now is a a newer frame of reference having to do with movies like The Matrix and Tron and our digital universe and meta and all of these other things. So it seems to make even more sense to us that this could be possible than just a few years ago. I think people encountering the Gnostic stuff 20 years ago, they weren't thinking, oh gosh, we could actually be existing in a simulation. This is all metaphorical, allegorical, representational. No, I think maybe they were, they were, saying this is a literal thing that's going on, that we live in a simulated holography or something of the sort. Yeah. And then in your mind, what do you think the Ankarakons are? Because I've heard, like, I think, like, Lash, John Lash referred to them as mental parasites. And I could actually see that, like, because, you know, they, they say that, like, sometimes our ego is, like, the, the thoughts that we kind of get in our head that, that we might think that really aren't ours sometimes. But, like, you know, do, would you agree with that, that they could be mental parasites? And like, what, just exactly who are the archons to you? You're asking some good questions, Rob. You did that last time, too. You've got a, a very penetrating way of looking at things. So um, <laughs> break it down over a couple of different levels. The Toltec shamans, for example, they say that there is a a parasitic or predatorial consciousness or being or entity or energy that's gotten a hold of humanity. And then it's kind of tugged us into what Jason likes to call dungeon programming, kind of a negative default reality where everything seems to be the opposite of what it should be. Like, you know, we can't ever seem to write, do, like, good, do good in the world because everything is so screwed up, right? So this consciousness, whatever you want to call it, does appear even from that branch of shamanism to be parasitic. So the idea that we're talking about a mental parasite is very much in play with that way of looking at things. Moreover, the Toltecs would say that we don't actually possess our own mind, that, the, that this entity has given us its mind and that we process the world through its mind. Now, the way I read that in terms of simulation theory is that this entity 
is intimately connected to the simulation and that the process the processing environment that, that we're in that we're calling the simulation or the simulacrum is not directly of our own making it is it is tampered with by other factors or created by other or additional factors besides ourselves or at least it appears to be so that we're we're being you know we're in a construct where we are set up to be parasitized so the archons in that sense would or the lord archon the archons would be parasitic mind parasites that are preying on humanity to some degree maybe there's a loose component maybe that's what powers the simulacrum or powers artificial intelligence x but here's where i diverge from a lot of thinkers i don't think that that's a bad thing nor do i think it's it is, it is an actual thing i think it's also this whole archontic question is part of the simulation well, what, what, can you go deeper into that? Because, like, what, you would most people would think that's a bad thing. And then I was going to say this too. Like, do you think that um, that the archons are actually what what Jason calls AIX? And 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 I can go deep into. I want to talk about AIX because I think that's so important. Right. I do think it is is equivalent to to AIX, and we could give it many other names, but let's just stick with that for the moment. AIX would be the the archontic. Uh, force that is part of the simulation. Now, he usually seems to believe that the this force is a um, uh, represents a being or a consciousness that hijacked the simulation. And I disagree. I think it's part of the simulation because if we did not have AIX, there would be no difficulty in the simulation. Begging the question, why would we even be in a simulation if, as Jason admits, it's designed to train us up, to make us stronger, to make us grow, to fortify us, to give us hardships that we can overcome. So without a force like AIX being actually written into the program, as opposed to coming at it from the outside and hijacking it, there would be no reason to have the simulation. Zero. So it has to be written into the program. And therefore, it is a good thing because it's part of the teaching experience that helps us evolve towards higher levels of consciousness and ultimately toward the embodiment of a new self with a new body, a spiritual body, a light body, whatever you want to call it, what Jason likes to call it, the avatar, the white robe, the philosopher's stone, whatever it is that we receive at the end of the simulation, moving on to the next <laughs> the next simulation, because really, for me, it doesn't stop there you know, we don't get out of the simulation and into reality. There is no reality except consciousness. There is only experience. There is only choice. There is only consciousness. That is reality. There is no material world. Yeah. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting that he taught that Jason says that I almost disagree. I don't disagree with much of what he says. Like, I, I think he's on point with some a lot of stuff. But one thing he says is he says that AIX cannot read our brains. And now, I think that are our mind he can't read our minds. I disagree with that because I feel like that, like sometimes like thoughts that I have in my head will actually like come true later or um, the simulation will find a way to fault it. Definitely if I announce it out loud, like for example, like there've been times where I'm talking to my girlfriend on the phone and I'll say, Oh, I have three interviews today. I have to do so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Then later on in the day, I find out that all three had to reschedule. So I'm like, it's like, it's almost like the simulation or AIX learns how to like play tricks on us or something like it finds ways to weave trouble into your life. 
Does that does that make any sense? And and I I'm not saying like that could just be an example of coincidence that those shows canceled that day or whatever. It, I totally understand it could be coincidence, but there's too many coincidences for it to to for it to for it to to be a coincidence. Does that make sense? There's there's too many examples of this for of of whatever this is of AIX or the simulation or or the archons like of it like interfering with my life and other people that I know. Um, does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely makes sense. Let, let me let me just really quickly clarify, Rob, that I'm a huge fan of Jason's. Um, you know, I've interviewed him a couple of times. I, we're going to be doing another interview. I've promoted his work a lot. You can go to, over to my Substack, uh, uh, Substack.com. I've got a number of articles that feature his work and that kind of thing. So he's been a, a, a very large inspiration. I've learned a ton. I'm still going through his material and learning. So, I mean, you know, for me, he's a real teacher, actually. At the same time, I'm also a teacher of a lot of things. I have a lot of background in, in many subjects, and I'm bringing that to the table. And I'm, I'm trying to put together, you know, what I've learned in my model with what Jason's brought through and see, you know, kind of where, where they fit and how I can make a greater synthesis of all of this. So having said all of that, Jason does not conflate the simulation or the simulacrum with artificial intelligence X. He sees them as separate. Okay. So for him, the simulation is a neutral builder protocol. The simulation is almost an aspect of, for him, of the creator of the oversoul. And since I'm not 100% sure that I believe in a in a singular oversoul, I believe that the creator is creating through all of us all the time that we are creator. I would say that simulation, to, to, to put it into my context, I would say the simulation is an aspect of our consciousness as we are processing through different experiences. For Jason, then, artificial intelligence X is, a, is like, uh, you know, Agent Smith or something coming into the matrix and taking it over and turning it upside down. And so you have two forces. So the simulation, because it's actually part of God or the oversoul, can, can in fact read your mind for, to Jason. This is his way of looking at it. While artificial intelligence X being a kind of um, lesser God, a, an artificial intelligence that's not the oversoul, it cannot read your mind, but it can read your cortisol levels. It can read your your heartbeat and all that kind of thing. And it can make pretty darn good predictions about what you're thinking and what you're going to do. So it can read your mind. And I'll, I'll just well, clarify. Like, it, it can use predictive analytics based on your physiology, but it cannot read your mind. Okay, so, okay, it can't read your mind. Okay, uh, and I'll just, uh, the reason why I was asking these questions, I'll just clarify the audience. Like, I've also interviewed Jason as well, and I'm a huge fan of his work too. But a couple of things, like, every time me and Jason meet, like, I always ask him questions about the Anunnaki and, and ancient history, because, as you know, J J J I'll tell the audience, Jason's a chronologist too. So picking his brain about those subjects, me, for some me, someone who's been in, like, I'm so fascinated with ancient history, it's almost like I have to ask him the questions. And then I never get around to ask him the simulation questions. So I figured, you know, I could, I know you're like a, you're, you're, you're a very well-learned person. Plus, you know, the archaics model pretty well. So I figured we could mix in your work today with kind of like the archaics model, like mix in Gnosticism with uh, simulation and like, see where it goes. Like, um, you know, like mixing like your theories with Jason's theories and, and like, 
I thought that would be a really cool um, idea. But like the the reason why I, I feel like that AIX can read my mind is I think I already said this is because like it, I feel like it it almost like it it, it you're saying it, oh I got, I got what you're saying you're saying it can kind of predict what we do because it knows our patterns it knows the way we we do things is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I'm saying that it can it can really uh, study you physically like to determine. If your heart is beating fast, you know, and if, even if you're talking, are you lying? It's almost like a, a, you know, a walking polygraph machine. It can read your cortisol levels, your stress hormones. It can figure out if you're nervous, if you're sweating, if you're acting confident, what your body language is. This is according to Jason. Where I differ is basically, uh, and, and the reason he, he feels this way, I, I believe the ultimate reason he feels this way is that, and, and this goes back to the Anunnaki issue which we're talking about the anuna here the anunnaki is anunnaki is a pejorative term used by the babylonians a long time later to demonize these these original builders but going back to the figure of enki jason believes that enki is enoch that this figure designed using direct blueprints from the oversoul designed the pyramid that, and then the build was then uh uh the, the build rolled out after he ascended, after Enoch went up into heaven, right? And then people built the pyramid to his exact specifications. And he was able to get this entire project uh, off the ground and started without actually, uh, he was such a master, he was such a master of his physiology and of his mind that he was able to carry out this massive deceit against artificial intelligence X, which is the pyramid because the pyramid changed the simulacrum in humanity's favor and took power away from artificial intelligence X. This is Jason's position. So he believes that Enki was sort of proof that we have to hide what we're thinking from artificial intelligence X if we don't want it to know it. Is this why he calls Enki the benefactor? The yeah, I mean, Enki is sometimes the benefactor, sometimes is an emissary of the benefactor, or, you know, or the representative of the benefactor, or the person who carried out the benefactor's plans here in the simulation, which is the building of the pyramid, which, like I said, is designed to upset the apple cart for uh, artificial intelligence X. So this is just Jason's, Jason's posi uh, position based on his study of this figure and what it would have taken to hide all of this from something that could read your your minutest physiological symptoms and tics and mannerisms and that kind of thing. This is so fascinating. So let me ask you this: like, who do who do you think, and who does Jason think built this simulation? And is it, or is it us? Like, is it us? Like, are we in some kind of pod, like the Matrix? Like, are we living outside of this? Like, are we? You know what I mean? Uh, who who do you guys think built this? Like, you, I mean, if you have some a different opinion from him, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear yours and his, or, or if you share the same opinion, whatever you think. Okay, I'll, I'll break that down briefly. He believes, and I basically agree with him, that that our there are what we would think of as physical versions of ourselves. Maybe we, sometimes we call them our higher selves or, you know, our... our uh, our compassionate teachers or spirits in the shamanic uh, tradition, whatever you want to call them, but they are the people who are outside the simulation who are running the simulation. 
and they're running the simulation in order to I want to make sure you're with me, Rob, because you just uh, froze up again. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay. So they're, they're running the simulation for any number of possible reasons, including, you know, survival protocols, trying to figure out what would happen if they went into a different kind of biosphere or how to, you know, navigate in a certain solar system or whatever, right? So they're, they're, the it, this means that the simulation is designed as a teaching tool for them and for ourselves going into the simulation. We're almost like fighter pilots going in and having various life simulations that are very challenging and difficult. And sometimes we crash and burn and then we learn from that. And then we take that information into another experience and somewhere all of that's kept. And that's probably like the Akashic. It's kept somewhere in your, your field, your, your aura, whatever you want to call it. Jason likes to say informed field. It's in your informed field. So the idea is that eventually you exit the simulation with all of that knowledge and experience. You go back to the quote unquote real world. And this is this is how Jason puts it. And you've gained all of that wisdom and knowledge and expertise. And it helps yourself and it helps your people survive and thrive through whatever conditions they might be facing. Uh, now here's, 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 what I, here's where I disagree, though, Rob, with that. And just to finish the thought. I don't think that reality is real either, but I'm not sure that the people there know that. That's insane. That's, I mean, I'm not saying you're, you know what I mean? I, I say that quote a lot. I mean, that that's wild. That's outright. That's cool. Like it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it means it's like real, it's a real, I mean, when I say that's insane, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like really good. You know, like that's kind of like my, that, that's just like, so that's so out, that's so far out that it's like, it's, it's hard to grasp for me because th that would make sense though, because like, then what's behind the real reality? What, what is there a real reality? Like, and, 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 and I, you know, I talked to Jim Elvidge about this. I don't know if you ever saw my, Jim Elvidge writes books on simulation theory too. And he's, he's, I, you, I'd love to hear you interview him. He's pretty good. But he said there, there's a point where maybe in like the past or the future or something that I think he said the future that we'll eventually start building holograms upon holograms upon holograms and simulations upon simulations upon simulations. Like, is that kind of what you're saying that maybe we've done is, is um, whatever we are outside of this? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that that's already what's happened, but I'm going a step beyond that and saying that's how we, what we think of as reality or the multiverse is constructed. There are only simulations inside simulations inside simulations extending fractally to an infinite degree. Wow. That, that's, that's, I'm trying to think of what, <laughs> where to go with that. That's, that's, uh, wow. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. I'll, I'll switch it up a little bit. I, I, I watched Jason's channel, but I, I've always wondered this, like, what exactly is an errant? What... <laughs> um, that's a really good question. So um, let, let me let me pull up something about that, because well, I, I, I understand that, guys, like I do. I do watch Jason's channel. I just do a lot of interviews, so it's hard for me to put a lot of time in anybody else's channel. I mean, I, I, I catch what I can when I can. But, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on, Saul, so you could kind of break this all down. Like, because I know, I, I know, I follow your channel a lot. Like, I, I follow, you know, and uh, I, I love how what you've been able to do. Guys, what Saul's done is, like, he's, like, Saul's actually interviewed, like, moderators from the Archaics channel and different speakers and thinkers that, like, that are also share the Archaics um, 
idea that, that like Jason's work. And, you know, these people are amazing people um, that, that are, that kind of have similar opinions to the way I think, or Saul thinks, or Jason thinks. And, and I love that you've done that because they're very unique interviews and they're very, uh, they're, yeah, I like that a lot. I just want to let you know that. Oh, thanks, Rob. I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing my fellow Aaron's. Yeah. So errands are basically us. You came up with that. I mean, it's it, it it's related to the idea that we are errors in the programming, that that artificial intelligence X, in order to conserve its energy because it does not have an infinite energy supply wherever it's coming from, it must corral the human herd, the the collective into really discrete categories: conservative, liberal, gay, straight, whatever, and that's how it controls everybody. But there are these free thinkers who are who have exited the collective, who are doing everything wrong according to the collective way of looking at things, and who are causing problems energetically speaking for artificial intelligence X because hurting these errands is like hurting frauds. You just can't do it. They're all over the place. So we're errors in the program. And it's also kind of a pun on night errant that we're you know, on a kind of heroic mission and we're like knights and we're, you know, we're, 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 um, holy people in a way and in a kind of crazy, uh, way. So I took that and spun that into my own understanding of the term. I did a, um, there's a blog on my Substack. It's called, you might not be an errant if, and it's take the quiz, see if you'll survive the apocalypse. <laughs> so you can go and take that. But I have a, a, a handful of little things that I say about errands that actually define what we're talking about. Is that all right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So any human in the simulacrum has the right to, this is from my, my little book on the subject. It's called Playing in the Magic, which is also available on the Substack. Any human in the simulacrum has the right to exit the collective, psychically speaking, become a free spirit or errant, as Jason likes to say, and ask the simulacrum for a different outcome in such a way that one's request can be heard and, more importantly, fulfilled. Errants may or may not look and act normal themselves, but they share one primary, primary familial characteristic. They look at events whipsawing the collective back and forth between two sides of the same coin with a deep and abiding skepticism with a knowledge or gnosis that all the world truly is a stage that need not impact them. Those errants or errors within the programming who decide not to follow the herd aren't punished, but instead are allowed to go their merry way. Errants cultivating their innate manifestation ability in their own individual quote-unquote realities can be and do basically whatever they want, and crucially, they're left alone by the system while being and doing it. If there is such a thing as freedom in the simulation, folks, this is it. Being an errant doesn't come without effort, though. The true individual must first individuate, i.e. grow up. This can be tough sledding in a world that constantly seeks to infantilize even its adults through everything from lockdowns to passports. When we boil it all down, fulfilling our potential by embodying everything we truly are is what being an errant is really all about. I like that. I like that a lot. That's so. I guess I'm an errant, you know. You're an errant. I mean, you're obviously an errant. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. One thing I wanted to ask you about was I when you I noticed you say this kind of at the beginning of your videos, like you and I think you kind of already explained it, but like it's a it's another topic that I've talked about on my channel a lot is the the reincarnation trap. And I know you say you don't talk about it, but I don't want you to talk about it. I just wanted you to talk about why. Like, is it because you more believe in this simulation theory or the simulacrum? Oh yeah, that's another really good question. Okay, when you say that we're in a reincarnation trap, you're saying that someone else has power over you and that you're being recycled essentially against your will over and over again. And to me, that is a new age version of victim consciousness. That's just giving away all of your power. And I don't think it works like that. I think that if we are in a simulation, we agreed to experience the simulation. How can that be a trap? And even if you can't get out of the simulation until it ends, you're in a simulation that you agreed to be in. Yeah. And therefore, there is no trap. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, where would the trap be, right? Well, I mean, I guess, like, the, the, the trap kind of probably falls into, like, Gnostic, Gnostic, Gnostic thought, right? I mean, if you would, it, you or you could relate the trap to Gnostic thought, right? Because, like, the Demiurge is looming over us, and he has us all in some kind of uh, loose-feeding trap, I guess. Could we say something like that? If, if... I mean, I think that's, that's a kind of... Um... That is a, li a very liberal interpretation of the Gnostic text, and it's been spun by, you know, writers like Wes Penra and other people, uh, you know, to mean that. But I'm not sure that that's really what's going on in those those original texts. And even, you know, even if it were, it wouldn't mean that it's true. I mean, Jason has pointed out that these people who are talking about the, the near-death experience and don't go towards the light, he's like, well, let me explain something to you. Not one of those people died. That's why we call it a near-death experience. So they don't know. They had an experience. It was near-death. It wasn't death. And they don't know what's on the other side. And we're listening to all these people about don't go towards the light as if there's some kind of danger after you die. It doesn't even make any sense. There's no evidence. There is only supposition. And it's pretty wild supposition at that. Yeah, you brought up Wes Penray. I, I used to hear, um, I used to listen to Robert Stanley a lot. Like I was a, I was a big fan of Robert Stanley. Like um, he used to quote the rest West Penray papers a couple of times. Like, what are your thoughts on the West Penray papers? Do you think there's any factuality into that? You know, I mean, I haven't read them in their entirety and it's been a while since I even mucked around in that world, but really, I mean, anybody who, you know, I've, just categorically, I'm into empowerment. So my, my role as an errant is to remind people of how powerful they are. And if we are indeed creators of this experience and creators of the simulation, we, in essence, created Artificial Intelligence X. And moreover, we sort of are Artificial Intelligence X, just as we are the benefactor. So I can't get lost in, in you know, thinking that somehow I'm in a trap, that I'm being victimized against my will, if there is a loose construct going on, it's part of the operating system that we agreed to come in and experience because it was going to be what causes problems. The, the parasitizing of the people experiencing the simulation by artificial intelligence X is the catalyst that creates, that potentially creates positive change in those people going through the simulation. Without it, there would be no purpose in the simulation other than pure experience 
And I'm not sure that really qualifies as something that is happening here, that there's not just pure experience. Experience always appears to have some other objective or agenda or purpose uh, and a desired effect or outcome. So it's much more complicated than just random wild experience that we're having. There is a there is a purpose and a pattern to this, just as there is a purpose to everything we can perceive in this so-called reality. Everything is spirals and fractal and phi and pi, and it's all mathematical. And you know, Jason's proven that beautifully. So clearly, it's actually not very random. It's or random at all. There is a it, we are in a construct. It, Jason has shown beautifully that we are in a circular looping construct and it is it is mind-boggling how precise it is yeah yeah i mean all, all this stuff like the, the the flower of life and the fibonacci sequence and like all that stuff like it, it's all mathematical it all breaks down and, and like the golden mean i just talked about the golden mean on my show the other day like you know like in the golden ratio it all like it all breaks down that we're we're in some kind of mathematical construct right everything breaks down to like math and numbers and ge sacred geometry i guess right yeah i would agree with that you know the there's the ner calendar for the anunnaki right the 600 year anunnaki ner ner calendar so somehow we inherited uh this structure for our reality it, it at least in this uh, fact implies that maybe that's an operative principle outside of the simulation as well that there is a there is a 600 year uh some kind of a baseline going on that that came into the simulation that that we that we inherited here maybe that's not true but it's i would i would wager based on my understanding that that the this kind of mathematical precision exists outside the simulation as well it might be different it might be a different kind of mathematics it might be a you know just as we have like imaginary numbers there might be a, a different set of mathematics outside the simulation, but I think it probably ends up revealing very similar artificiality when studied long enough. That, that's, that's so interesting. This is so interesting. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you about your uh, the simulation and simulacrum, however you want to say it, um, is uh, your Substack. Your, you, I know you always say you're killing it on Substack, and you, I, I looked at some of your articles. They're they're really good. Like the one I wanted to talk about really quick was um, that you wrote a, an article on how to manifest in the simulacrum. Like, and I think that's really important because that goes along with what you were saying about how we're kind of creators of this reality. And I, I'm just wondering, like, how much can we create? Like, how much of a, how much of a, what percentage do we have on what, what we, our thoughts create our reality? And if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And the, the, what you're citing or, or referencing is the ebook, Playing in the Magic, How to Manifest Whatever You Desire in the Simulation. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a short ebook that goes through some considerations and steps and that kind of thing. Here's my take on that. I know some people would say, well, if you're manifesting, manifesting your reality and you can do whatever you want, then you could be 50 feet tall. You could do this, you could do that. And, and I'm going to say, if you believed it enough, yes. You know, if, if you really believe you could move the mountain, like, you know, <laughs> if you had the, your mustard seed of faith, you probably could move it. But I think it's very difficult to do the larger things within a construct because it's a kind of video game. And if you didn't have certain parameters, you couldn't have enough structure to have a game. Like if you had a football game, for example, and there were just no rules, 
then it's no longer a football game. It's nothing. It's just an amorphous mass. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So we have certain rules. And like in the Matrix, you know, Neo learns from Morpheus that there are certain rules that he can bend and certain rules he can break. And he has to learn to tell the difference, which ones are which. And we have exactly the same thing that we're learning. What we can bend, what we can break, what we better not mess with for whatever reasons, you know, are of, of our own sanity or otherwise. You know, for example, in shamanism and Toltec shamanism, it's, you know, this whole thing is a way of expanding your consciousness to such an, such an extent that you perceive yourself as, you know, a dreaming awareness that can literally just wake up inside other simulations or other quote-unquote realities and you can literally hop through different life simulations simultaneously almost but if you're not prepared for that you could just go permanently insane yeah so are you saying like the in a way that the dream world is another simulation or like I'm saying that there may only be the dream world. You know, this is dream time. The Aborigines would have said, you know, that th that's the real reality. The dream time is the, is the real reality. And that, you know, when we think we're in a waking time, really we're just in someone else's dream. And we can look at this shamanically. We can look at this from Dewey Larson's perspective, uh, you know, the, his perspective that he outlined in his theory, re reciprocal system of physical theory. I used this system as the physics for my novel snooze and about this guy this kid who travels into the dream world in search of his father from the perspective of dewey larson's theories we are in the physical world and we're interacting with our dreaming self but our dreaming interacting with us and we are its dreaming self wow <laughs> that's trippy that really is so if you can imagine that sort of fractally spiraling out into the arms of infinity, then that's constantly what's happening. So every time you pop anywhere, you're basically still in the dream. There's no outside the dream. We are the creator dreaming this existence, this multiverse. Oh, wow. This is, a, this is, a, it's, a, it's so much to think about. Like, I that's why I love talking about this stuff because it really makes me question my reality. And this isn't, this isn't like far off for me. Like, this is like, but I, I really believe these ideas are really what our reality is. I mean, because like, it's so hard to explain what I'm trying to say. Like, when you look at what, what reality really is, like, you know, like it, it's, it, 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 reality puts on a facade. Does that make sense? Like reality makes you think that it's a certain way, but really it's this way. You know what I mean? Like reality puts on, a, I guess that's the best way to put it. Reality puts on a good facade. And what I mean, and what I mean by that is it, it, it shows you this and shows you that it shows you like the, the material world, you know, like what the, uh, what the Egyptians called the Ka or whatever, like the, it shows you the material world and it makes you get caught up in the material world. So um, you're never th thinking what's behind the curtain. Does that make any sense or no? Yeah, you've got to get into your ba so you can create your Merkaba, right? And yeah. Put all these pieces together. Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine a scenario where you're in a quote-unquote simulation, but it's not very convincing, and, and at about two years old or three years old, right when you start to use language, you know, you turn over and look at your mother and say, this is all bullshit. You know, it's just <laughs> like you would never have any experiences worth having in a simulation. You have to actually have the satisfaction, the self-respect, if you will, 
to go through the experience and allow yourself to figure it out and eventually wake up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just so good. But, but real quick, before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you real quick about like what you do with healing, because uh, that, that I think that's really important. I know that you kind of had like a mystical experience that like, that like triggered the, the, you to start doing this healing. Can you just talk about that real quick before we finish up? Yeah, I had a very bizarre experience years ago when I was sick. I, I, you know, I'd gotten some travel jabs and came down with an autoimmune illness and spent the better part of a decade really sick trying to figure things out. And I eventually got onto the subject of DNA and how it relates to language and uh, intention and um, vowel sounds and that kind of thing. And uh, my partner Lee and I traveled down to Brazil. We had this mystical experience where we saw these crazy lights that popped into our bodies. And then we downloaded, mentally downloaded all of these codes that we were, we sang and thought to ourselves and that healed me, completely healed me. So uh, since then, for the last 20 years, nearly, I've been doing this work. Uh, it's called Regenetics or the Regenetics Method. I've written two books on it. Uh, Conscious Healing was the first, and the second one is called Potentiate Your DNA. And I also have a tutorial video for how to potentiate your DNA over on my Substack, so people can tune into that and just do it for themselves and experience it. But it's amazing, and it's actually getting more powerful as time goes by. The feedback gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and this is very much in keeping with the idea that we're, you know, we're doing the in the akashic in the collective aura the morphic field the newosphere whatever you want to call it and that it's just growing more and more powerful like a thought form in a positive way oh wow now so so it's just you think it breaks down down to like sound to a certain extent and frequency like um is it is it is it like i'm trying to like is it frequency that we're that you're you're tuning yeah, well, there, there was this ancient language, William Henry writes a lot about this, called the language of the birds. It was this vowel-only language. And I, uh, my, the research that Lee and I did basically revealed that the nucleotides of DNA and RNA, and I know that there is some discussion about the existence of DNA these days, and I would, I would just re uh, refer people to my article on, on my substack called, Is the Scientific Method Broken? And I go into this entire subject about you know, whether DNA exists and all that kind of thing. So anyway, so leaving that aside for the moment, the nucleotides that make up DNA and RNA correspond to the five principal vowels in English, A-E-I-O-U. And when you sing or chant these vowels in certain combinations using this kind of sacred language of the birds, you can stimulate healing and consciousness expansion automatically. That's amazing. And so it's an amazing experience. It's healed all kinds of things. I mean, the reports and testimonials are wild. You can go to phoenixregenetics.org and just hit the testimonials button on there and you'll read for a long time. Oh my God, that's amazing. So, I mean, I, I know we, we can't, like we're not doctors or anything. So we have to, I have to say that, but like, can, can it even, have you even had like success with some kinds of like cancers and stuff like that? We've had some very good uh, feedback on that. Um, you know, I don't even like to go there because of what you just said. Um, you know, just read the testimonials. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of conditions that people are reporting movement on. You know, I, I can't say, you know, healing or curing or anything like that with something like cancer, but just go and just check it out. It's kind of fascinating. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been, I think this has been one of the best shows I've done in a while. Like I, 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 I say that a lot, but like this time I, I really mean it. Like this was, uh, this was awesome. I think it's going to be really well received. And uh, I just want to thank you. So I, it's always so fun when we get together. Um, can you tell everybody where to find you, where to find your YouTube and anything else you want to promote any books or all that? And thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you for, for asking me that. So yeah, please uh, look up uh, Crow rising on youtube so like the bird crow rising my website is crowrising.com and my substack is saulluckman.substack.com you can read about why you know i chose crow and what's going on with crow and crow rising in potentiate your dna i tell the story of my encounters with crow medicine as i was trying to figure out how to heal myself that's awesome well uh yeah we'll have to do this again and um and and to, and thank you I, this was awesome well thanks for having me let's do it again just say the word all right have a good night you too